I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hello everyone. Salam dear listeners. Welcome to She Talks Peace. I'm Dina Zaman, co-founder of Iman Research in Kuala Lumpur, and I used to host uh, together with Amina. I'm on a short sabbatical for now. Amina Russell, the main host of She Talks Peace, is the president of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. And she had to leave Manila because she had a last-minute meeting to speak at the ASEAN Regional Forum Symposium on the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, as well as the Youth, Peace and Security Agenda. Both topics should be of great relevance to our guest today, who's both a woman leader and a youth leader. But before we go on to our She Talks Peace podcast, let me talk to you a little bit about the forums that Amina is attending. One, the ASEAN Regional Forum is attended by ambassadors and other leaders of the member states, civil society, international agencies, and development partners. This particular forum is hosted by the United States Institute for Peace and United States Department. As a diplomatic body, the ASEAN Regional Forum, or ARF, contributes to conflict prevention in the region by fostering dialogue and promoting preventive diplomacy. This particular forum looks into the peace women, a women peace and security agenda, and a youth peace and security agenda to affirm the important roles of women and youth, respectively, in conflict prevention, mitigation, resolution, and peace building. Most of our guests on She Talks Peace often share their experiences in implementing the WPS agenda and also the disappointments, the challenges. WPS was supported unanimously by the UN Security Council in 2000 through the UN United Nations Security Council of Resolution 1325. According to the UN, this was the first Security Council resolution to link women to the peace and security agenda looking at the impact of conflict on women and women's contribution to conflict resolution and sustainable peace. The friends who've been guests on our show are women peace builders from all over the world, and many have been demanding that their governments implement the agenda. The resolution consists of four pillars, the role of women in conflict resolution, women's participation in peace building, 
the protection of the rights of women and girls during and after conflict, and women's specific needs during repatriation, resettlement, and for rehabilitation, reintegration, and post-conflict reconstruction. Now, ASEAN plans to have its own regional plan of action, and Amina and I are working together on a separate project to support the establishment of an ASEAN regional action plan for women, peace, and security. Although only two out of ten ASEAN member states actually have national action plans that you know the Philippines, Indonesia have, my own country Malaysia does not have a national action plan. There's a lot of talk, but we've not seen anything being implemented yet. Why is that? You may well ask. And why is women's participation in peace and security not supported in Malaysia? Could it be that we Malaysians don't think women have the strength or the power? Perhaps our guest can share her thoughts. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Tanusha Francis Xavier, and we both are, you know, on behalf of Amina and you know all our friends. We're very excited to speak to her because she is one, you know, she's part of MODA, the Malaysian Political Youth Party. She's a medical doctor. She trained and worked in Cuba and South America. She is a YCLE 2021 Women's Leadership and Academy alumni. She's also the co-founder and vice president in Party Muda. She's a co-founder and secretary of the Supported Employment for Autism, the C Club, which is an organization established to empower adults with autism to find gain, uh, gainful employment. She's passionate about women's empowerment, human rights, and healthcare. She's also a wow, a Bharata Natyam dancer. Welcome to She Talks Peace, Dr. Tanusha. <laughs> Hi, Dina. Lovely to be here. No, oh, thank you, thank you so much. Sorry for the long introduction, but we thought we'd just update the our listeners on what's been happening. I also noticed that you joined in one or two of the consultations, and we're really happy about that. So uh, maybe I can just begin and ask you, how do you feel about those consultations? First and foremost, I was very, very excited to be included in the discussion and also to be better informed myself regarding regional developments and especially the role of women in peace and security. And like you, I myself am confounded as to why our government has been a little slow in the uptake of coming up with a plan. And, and if I'm remembering correctly, they did make an announcement this year, right, that they were going to present one and I think we are all still eagerly awaiting when this would happen and it what what is astounding is that it's a straight up thing this is not something that is controversial or anything you can definitely acknowledge women's role in peace and security in Malaysia and you know step up to the plate our neighbors have done so much and we can't even come up with the plan yet <laughs> you know Dr. Tanusha every time in a consultation like that last week on Friday I was uh, moderating ASEAN uh, IPR webinar right mm -hmm. and in the end I felt really horrible as a Malaysian where I admitted you know how envious I was as someone who is very new to this uh, sector but wanting to learn more and participate yeah to realize that we're still way way behind this whereas other countries for example Indonesia are like Miles, thousands of miles ahead. Exactly. Yeah. But look, before we go back to that, I think it would be really great for our you know, listeners to know a little bit more about Muda and yourself. Would you like to talk about that? Definitely. I'm always happy to talk about Muda. So to everyone listening, Muda is a youth-led political party. It's actually an acronym 
for Malaysian United Democratic Alliance, and so that's MUDA, and in short, MUDA. So this whole initiative to form a political party, while it has actually been around for years, or rather the, the desire to have one in Malaysia and so forth, it ultimately culminated after the Sheraton move in Malaysia, because a lot of youths in different sectors of society, the, the young professionals, the young activists, the young politicians, and so on, we have always been rather behind the scenes, supporting the opposition, supporting different political parties and so forth, but never in the limelight. And at that point in time, we said it's okay because, you know, this is, we're working towards making a difference in our country and, you know, we're going to push the existing political parties and to make sure that happens. So when Sheraton happened, we really, really felt disgruntled and disillusioned, like most Malaysians, actually. And we felt that, you know what, we are always working to put others in power. Why don't we create an alternative platform, especially so that young people and women can have a louder voice in what happens in politics in Malaysia. And to be very frank with you, Dina, we honestly thought that it would not necessarily be something that would get a lot of response because a new political parties is not something that comes up in Malaysian landscape. Parties that are around have been around for a long time. It's the same players and so forth. And we did not necessarily feel that, you know, Malaysians would be open to a new political party and one that is being led by young people at that. But we have, of course, been very, very pleasantly surprised because from the moment that we announced that, oh, this is in the works, the support and response by Malaysia have been very, very warm and encouraging. Moda came to the public consciousness during the time of COVID. And, uh, you know, I think everyone had their personal and professional challenges there. What were the challenges that Moda faced and you personally faced fronting a new political party during the time of COVID? This is actually a spot-on question, Dina, because that was definitely the first thing that we faced as soon as we had launched the idea of our political party. And what we had planned out was a whole nationwide tour of sorts where we can you know, go to different communities and engage young people and all Malaysians and like sort of introduce ourselves, get their feedback on what our policy platform should be like and basically be more in touch with communities directly. And we were immediately hit with the pandemic and that was extremely challenging because it put all of our plans on hold and then now we are like, okay, what? Yeah, but it was in a sense a blessing in disguise because we immediately then went uh, to the alternative platform, that's the Zoom engagements and live programs and all of that. And it turns out that was actually our asset because we were able to quickly adapt to engagements via online platforms, given that, you know, we have, we are mostly comprised of young people and so forth. And we were able to adapt faster than existing political parties for that matter. And, we were able to have engagements with larger groups because Zoom sessions can hold up to like 500 people with the account that we have. And of course, live programs can hold up to thousands and tens of tens of thousands and more, which may not necessarily have been able to be the reach that we could have had with smaller on the ground programs. And also, of course, you can't discount the in-person touch and value that you have in engagements. 
But given that we were new, we also had financial restrictions. <laughs> so, and it would have been tougher for us to have, to conduct physical programs. Like where would you rent the tent and the PA system and chairs and all of that that goes with it. But given that it was very much online base, the engagements and so forth, we had a lot more freedom and time and resources to make that happen. Okay. I'd like to find out, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about MUDA, right? Mm-hmm. About how it doesn't have a proper charter nor constitution and that the public would not be able to take MUDA seriously. What do you have to say about that? Well, we have had our charter up on our website for the longest time, I think this has unfortunately been like a narrative that has been played by political parties currently in power. I feel because if you look up our website, it's all there. And like any other organization in the country, our constitution is available with the Registrar of Societies. You can't be an organization and not have a constitution in this country. So that's all clearly available to the public. So, yeah. Okay. And, you know, you will face, all of us will face a lot of brickbats, more of so than course. compliments. Yeah. But, okay, let's get back to this. I mean, obviously, that I mean, you've been listening in just like how I have, right? And I will admit that learning about the WPS agenda, the youth, you know, security agenda has not been easy. It's, you know, these are new mm. things for all of us. Those conversations, when you heard the women talking about, you know, about these agendas and challenges and all that. How are you planning to implement this into MUDA? How are you going to exercise all this? Right. So from the get-go, when we had the opportunity to create a political party from scratch, we were actually able to question and reevaluate existing structures in political parties and how we could do things differently or experiment to do things better. And immediately one of the things that we realized is that while originally youth wings and women wings were, the concept existed to sort of be like a training ground to empower more young people and women to have a voice in their respective political parties. Unfortunately, with time, this ended up sort of being a cocoon or a box instead for young people and women. And it's just one representative that gets to, you know, go up the ranks and have their voice heard. So then we thought like, okay, you know what? If we're going to do something different, let's do away with the idea of youth wings and women wings and women and young people should be represented directly in our central leadership and have equal access and voice as men and older people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So to that effect, we actually do have a lot of creative freedom, a, a lot of freedom to bring forward issues that matter to us. And I personally have actually established a sort of like a base for women across all established parliament groups that we have a presence in, in Malaysia, whereby women can come up with their own programs in the parliament suggested as a parliament activity and take forth. So for me personally, this is an agenda that matters to me, the role of women in peace and security. And it's really great that I will be able to actually translate that to our members in Muda directly. Like if this, I mean, to, to be frank, if I, if this were me trying to make this happen in any other political party in Malaysia, just to get the, the idea in, like, who would I take it to? And, you know, like, I don't see myself going far with it. But like in Muda, it, you just need to like have an idea and like, you know, you can do it. You can actually make that happen. So. But, you know, people may just argue, and this is something which I heard in all these consultations, right? Mm-hmm. You represent a political party. You know what I mean? You have everyone working in silos. Someone would just say, hey, Muda, why on earth are you doing this thing? We don't have any conflicts in Malaysia. We don't need a WPS agenda. I mean, people may say this. So if you decide to do this, why would you implement this? Well, I actually disagree that maybe we do not necessarily have conflicts in terms of outright street violence or anything like that. But I think it, it would be highly inaccurate to assume that we are a, a completely peaceful and happy society because the reality of the matter is that there is a lot of unrest in our society. Uh, one classic example is racial tensions at that. And the role of women in this, like even for us as political parties, one main thing that we are very clear on is that women actually play a high role in determining the direction of the family's values and also the family's voting pattern. You know, it is really the women in Malaysia who have a very, very strong say, who, you know, if the women feel that like, okay, no, that this person is not representing us well or not serving our community enough, they are actually the largest influences in a community. And that is applicable to everything, including peace and security, of course. And I think like by not just acknowledging first that there's a need for it, you are also in a way not acknowledging the role that women have in our society at that. Right. I mean, these are like, you know, I mean, I'm enjoying this conversation so far and Muda is new. There's a lot of excitement. And I think that because I follow you all on uh, on Instagram, right? The reception has been very, very good. Now, in the next one year, okay, let's not talk about the next one year. Let's talk about this year itself. We are, rumors say that we're going to have the elections. What do you foresee? Right. So alongside the positive reception, there's also a lot of high expectations that have been placed on Muda, which we really do take very seriously and we are consistently trying to adapt and improve to live up to those expectations and do good, essentially. With regards to elections in this short time that Muda has been in existence and even for myself with my direct involvement in politics, the rumours of election being around the corner, I, I can't count how many times we've been on standby for general elections 
due to some political turmoil between political leaders on one way or another. So, of course, the, the latest rumors, uh, strong rumors, is that it's going to be this year. Of course, uh, ultimately, it is up to the prime minister. He has final say on when he wants to call for elections. But as, especially as of late, the internal spats and civil war, so to say, within AMNO has, has been quite public. So I think everyone kind of understands why there is a sort of like a hint of why elections could be around the corner. So for us in Muda, like what we have always been doing is to continue doing the work that we have done. And if and when elections are called, then we're going to have to step up to the plate, put forth our candidates and do what we have to do. Okay, Muda is really, uh, I mean, it's known for this, right? You have a lot of minority races in the party, which I think I really brought, right? You have a lot, definitely, there's a lot more young women there. And you also have the heiress to the country, I support you. Uh, Dian Lee, right? I personally have no, you know, I think that anyone who's going to do work, good work, fantastic. But there's also the grassroots feeling saying that, you know, an heiress shouldn't be doing this. What would she know about conflict? What would she know about development and all? How have you taken this kind of uh, remarks, you know? Right. To address the role of minorities' involvement in political parties, I remember that when I was first announced as uh, vice president of MUDA, there were uh, a few that had reached out to me, telling me that, like, hey, do you know that you're actually the first female Indian leader to have a high-ranking position in a political party in Malaysia? And I didn't feel happy or proud about it. I actually felt really sad, because how is it possible that through all these years of independence in Malaysia that not a single young Indian female or older Indian female had been given the opportunity to lead because I'm just an average Malaysian girl. There's nothing extra, extra special about me. But there have been many who have come before me who are very, very capable and who unfortunately never had that opportunity to serve and to bring the voices of the minority communities forward. So this to me is definitely something that I take very, very seriously and, and have a lot of passion for in politics and in Muda, the role of minority communities. Now, as to Dian, she is actually someone who has been big support to us from the start. I remember the day that when the 13 of us co-founders went to ROS for the very first time to submit our, our documents, she was one of those people who were at the gate to cheer us on and to document the process, take photos, which is something that is of her passion. And I do understand and agree with the sentiment of a lot of people who feel that like, how would an heiress relate? Because if I was on the outside and if I did not know Diane personally, I would probably feel the same as well. Like, you know, how, uh, a person who has lived comfortably, what would they know? How would they relate? But I think like, while we have that, line of thought, we also need to acknowledge that in a sense, that is also a form of assumption and discrimination. And like what I always tell Diane is that like, it is on you to prove it with your good work and your service to the people. And like in any democratic process, if she does not live up to the expectation in a matter of two years, when we have our internal elections, then she's going to be kicked out by the grassroots fairly. So, so it is really on her to do her best. And she has been working extremely hard. She was a huge help during the Johor state elections. She was on the ground every day 
morning to night alongside us and she definitely does not get any special treatment of any kind in Muda. No one does, not even the the president. Like uh, even in our meetings and things like that, you know, like that sometimes people feel like, oh, you know, like there's like so much of bureaucracy within Muda. No, it's not like that at all. Sometimes we have meetings, we're all just sitting on the floor and it is Sadiq that makes coffee for all of us. There's no protocol. There's no... You know, we just want to like do things uh, differently. But yeah, to answer your question, so GN needs to do the work. And if the grassroots are still not happy with her, then they would have the opportunity to vote her out when we have our elections. But it's always a matter of class in Malaysia, you know. I notice whether it's for work, whether it's for my own studies, that thing, you know, that if you come from a certain class, you can't do this. If you are that, you know, you're, you're hindered because you're a minority. And that's something that which I feel that Malaysia needs to overcome. I don't know whether it's now DNA where people say, oh, if you're like this, there's no future. No, you can't do this. And, you know, I can foresee you having what, the next few years, having to overcome these perceptions. My next question is, with Muda, right, for the average member of Muda, how old do they need to be before they move on? Are you going to have a political party that's called Tua for the aging Muda members and all that? And what will they be doing? Okay, so before I answer this question, like you made a very interesting statement on like the classes perception of how different groups are not living up to standard. And I also think like in some sense, especially when it comes to the wealthy class versus the middle class versus the B40 community, I think the suspicion and distrust on people like DN really does come from a place of pain. Because very, very fairly so, if we look at the influence that wealthy people have in politics or the role that they have in politics when they come in, it really is pretty much to manipulate circumstances or to for them to protect their own personal interests, corporate interests or whatever it is based on what we have seen previously. So I do get where people are coming from. Of course, this is not the case with Diane again, because I have had the opportunity and privilege to work with her closely. But I do get where a lot of people are coming from. And also for me as a young minority female, I'm subjected to that suspect on a daily basis of a different kind of like with your normal average background and what could a young Indian girl possibly have anything to know about politics or have anything to contribute in nation building and so forth. Like, you know, you don't have the stamina for this or, you know, you can manage uh, political expectations and things like that. So there is also that kind of judgment that that is placed. So you, you actually hit it spot on that, you know, like that there's a lot of classes, perceptions and judgments that, it's not necessarily fair. I can tell you I'm glad I'm not in a political party. It sounds really, really interesting. You know. Okay, so let's move on to the next, right? Yeah. So do people know you? Amina was very, very excited when she heard about Muda. And a few of our sister peace builders are like, tell us more about Muda. Bring them over to Indonesia. Bring them here. Bring them there. And I'd like to know, how is your reach like outside of Malaysia? Actually, you're question has come at a perfect time because just about two days ago, we actually had an opportunity to sit with youth leaders from the Philippines and from Thailand, from the uh, Future Forward Party and so forth. And it was a really meaningful engagement. I, in particular, 
really found the engagement beneficial because we could really relate and ask questions because these were also young people who had tried to do the same in their countries, try to bring about change and empowering the voices of young people and women. So that was a very, very meaningful discussion. And we have definitely made plans to continue having those discussions down the road. Yeah. So, and that would be with the young people directly, but with the international community in Malaysia, I mean, with the pandemic and, and the limitations that we have had, it has been with representatives, thus the embassies. And we have met and continue to meet with great many of them, the EU Commission, the US Embassy, all of the embassies. And in fact, actually, Dina, tomorrow, the uh, Penny Wong would be here from uh, Australia. And they have also invited me for a, a brunch meeting as well. So the engagements with the international community is great on behalf of MUDA. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Oh, fantastic. Now, when you met all these youth leaders from the other countries, Thailand, the Philippines, Indonesia, and so forth, right? What did you learn from them that could be used for MUDA and Malaysia? Oh, a lot, a lot. And they are very honest and open about uh, sharing their experiences, what we could learn from them, and what they repeatedly tell us, which in a sense is something that we have noticed as well, is not to underestimate the role that social media has in influencing uh, the perception of the people. And that is both in a good and bad way. The good way would, of course, be that it is an avenue for us, the unknowns, the newcomers, to share our views and to be seen and to be heard. Previously, it used to be very difficult, right, for unknown people to to have a, a voice or to get your message across because unless mainstream media picks it up, you are not going to be heard. But that's not the case with social media. But unfortunately, it has also become a tool for a lot of misinformation and fake news to be spread. And that has been a very strong tool that is used by political parties that want to sway things uh, in their way. And that also has an influence on the people. So that that was definitely the, the biggest thing that was discussed with that. And they said that, like, you know, use it for engagement and all of that. But, you know, do not underestimate the fake news and do not disregard it. Address it and correct it as soon as possible. So those were some of the things that they shared, which I, I found it to be very, very insightful. So you've talked about this, right? I mean, what drove you? What made you decide, you know, to co-found Muda? Right. So like for 
all of us who decided to do this, it really came from a strong desire to see Malaysia be better. Uh, even in what we have discussed till now, Dina, with uh, the role of women in peace and security and all, there's something as simple and as straightforward and direct as that has not been done in Malaysia. Why? For goodness sake. You know, and that is just a small example of the reality with everything else, what we are facing right now. We are still discussing, you know, seeding prices for eggs and chickens and, and things that should be managed in a much, much better way. We all knew that this was coming from years ago, you know, the global food shortage. What did we do to prepare for it? I think proper is being done even with our education sector, the mess of the online learning circumstances when most regions in our country does not even have internet access and, you know, children don't have gadgets. How did that work so much? So many have missed out. Even when I go back home to my hometown, which is in Taiping, Para, and when I talk to 17-year-olds and they're like, no, we're just going to go for the exam, write my name and come out because I was not able to attend anything all year. And that is so sad to hear. And But that is the reality for a lot of young people. And in Malaysia, SPM is the, the benchmark that, you know, determines the course of your life moving forward. Without passing your SPM, you can't get into colleges, universities, or rather it gets complicated. And yeah, so a lot of things have been very, very poorly managed in Malaysia. So for us, that really is the driving reason behind it to see a difference. And for my friends in Muda who have children, that is their driving motivation as well even for people like Diane and all whom one of the reasons why she wants to do this because she doesn't need to she has nothing to gain from being in politics she lives a comfortable life you know and so forth but why she wants to do this is because she wants to see a better future for her children in Malaysia because we are really heading down a rather dangerous path in this country yeah okay does Muda have a strategy to solve all this do you have a roadmap mm-hmm. okay yeah oh and i just realized that i did not answer your previous question on the uh age limit and on tua <laughs> all right all right right okay I, I absolutely love how uh some of our friends and supporters have taken up and you know have done the tua branding and even have tua t-shirts i i i'm absolutely thrilled by it but for us uh we we actually discussed this the classes way of doing things and so forth so when we started muda even though we wanted it to be youth-led and that is in our constitution as well we definitely did not want to exclude anyone because that was what was being done to women and young people so why would we then exclude them from the process from the process so as far as membership and all of that is as long as you are 18 and above you are welcome to be a part of the party so that is in terms of age and so forth however in terms of leadership positions it will always and must always be led by a majority of young people so a few years down the road i i will no longer qualify to lead the party and neither do I want to because we are also very clear in that we actually want to make sure that there is a constant change of leadership in the party itself and we don't essentially like I don't end up being in this 
till I'm 60, 70, 80 and refuse to... A few examples of them in Malaysia, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. Yeah, yeah. They just need yeah, to yeah. constant change of leadership so that others have an opportunity to lead and so on. So that is definitely that. And in terms for Muda's roadmap, one thing that I have realized in uh, all of us since we started Muda is that despite having strategies and roadmaps, given that politics is so volatile and so much constantly happens in Malaysia, it is very difficult to stick to a specific plan. I can give you examples. When we got registered, we were actually in the middle of our Anje, our third relief works. So even for the, the press conference or of, and for the launch of Muda and so forth, I was stuck in, in Pahang cleaning a school and I, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm 10 minutes late and, you know, just pulled off the phone, which had a dying battery because there's no, no way you could charge your phone, you know, covered in mud. And I attended the conference and that has pretty much been us because we have been on the ground so much and doing so much work consistently. And that is forever changing. We can't say that like, okay, we will not have time to help with the flood relief efforts because, you know, we have a policy roadmap in place. That, that is never going to happen. And immediately after Banjie, suddenly we were surprised with Joho state elections. And then now immediately after that, as we have been discussing, the possibility of general elections. So <laughs> Every yeah, day, yeah. Yeah, so while there is a roadmap in place for everything, for our work with women empowerment, for our work with our policy platform, and that is ongoing on a daily basis, but we are consistently forced to adapt and change. And in July, we also have side Sadiq's court cases that are ongoing. So that is also something that I would be there in, to support uh, my friend, of course. So again, there's a lot of adaptability that comes with politics, for sure. Okay, we're heading towards uh, you know, the last few minutes of our podcast, right? You know, talking about Malaysia is quite depressing because I'm an old woman and I think, I don't think anything's going to change. Obviously, you that feel that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, you start thinking like, alamak, man, this is, there's a lot, you know, to handle. That's one. Two, the fact that Malaysia is right smack in the middle of, you know, anything can happen and we're right smack in the middle of conflict, potential conflict, lah, right? What are your hopes? What do you see? What do you foresee? For Malaysia down the road? Yes, and regionally. Okay, so we have been discussing as to why we started Muda and all of that. And it's precisely for these things. There's our role in terms of our regional, our relationships with regional countries and so forth is truly diminishing. And, you know, when we, for example, the Bon Odori Festival that took place a few weeks ago and when leaders in governments came out to say like, oh, that, you know, Muslims should not participate in this festival and things like that. That actually jeopardizes our relationship with Japan, for example. Just over inappropriate remarks like that, as opposed to embracing our relationship. That And this is just things that are happening in Malaysia. You know, there's, of course, the whole uh, South China Sea conflict that is happening right now. And to be honest, I don't see much initiative being done by our own government to have better ties with countries. And of course, there is the example of sending Tajuddin as the envoy to Indonesia. Like, what are we doing? Really? Like, you know, we have not even gone into larger regional policies and things like that. But even the basics are not being taken care of. 
And of course, domestically, the people that you appoint to JLCs, appoint to lead ministries, it's really nonsensical. Like, and I'm not saying this politically, but genuinely, you do not have good, capable people who are leading your ministries, your agency. And when we had the flood relief, how can Natma, the very agency that is responsible for flood relief, come up and say that this is not our job, this is not our responsibility, it's not, uh, it's the only thing we do is dispense monetary aid after. What on earth are you talking about? And we had people stuck on rooftops, people who drowned because of, you know, delayed response by the government themselves. I myself was there and I saw this happening myself. This is not a third person thing. And there genuinely was not, there was no enforcement on the ground till like three days later. And even that was because they broke the chain of command and said that, okay, enough is enough. We're, we're going to go down to help since no one seems to know who is going to issue the order and so forth. So the very basics are not being taken care of in the countries. You know, if it's nothing changes, then we really are in trouble. Okay. You know, I mean, I feel sad because Malaysia used to be the shining star in Southeast Asia. And yet, like many countries around the world, you know, we're not any different. We all have problems. We all have things to repair, yeah? Governance, policy, governments themselves. To end this note, right, what are the positive things that we can see about our country and the positive roles that Malaysia can play in the region? Right. I think one thing that has remained consistent in what I've seen in Malaysia over the turmoil of the last few years is that the, the spirit of the ordinary Malaysians, despite all of the mess that we are in and all of that, the solidarity and spirit of the ordinary Malaysians have not changed. We saw this during the pandemic when there was insufficient monetary aid and food aid being distributed and people lost jobs and we saw the white flag movement, the Bandera Puteh movement, which was part of the people free and ordinary Malaysians who went out to help their neighbours, you know, with pay rent or food or with whatever that was needed. A nationwide solidarity, organic movement with that. And the, the same with our flood relief works. And people donated millions, you know, even to Muda and even with the NGOs that I run and so forth, people were very generous in sending items, food items that for us to take over or cleaning equipment. So much so, and all of this is the effort and kindness of ordinary Malaysians, who is, in my opinion, is the fuel and is what is keeping the country running. And that that is what drives me and gives me hope for a better Malaysia, because if we can sort out the mess of, of leadership and governing in our country, then we can have hope of reclaiming our position in Southeast Asia to back to what it used to be. Maybe, you know, what we need to do is just dismantle the whole system, right? And get real nations running the country, you know. Obviously, with certain personalities who have aged, right? <laughs> I mean, we need to change them. We cannot have them in power anymore. Uh, wow, this has been a very inspiring podcast. I've not been doing this for quite a, a bit because I'm tied up with that short sabbatical. But uh, before we end this, you know, what are your last few words, your last few thoughts? Yeah, my last words would be that, like with many Malaysians, I definitely share the frustrations of our current political landscape. 
But with that frustration, we simply do not have the choice to be complacent. Like I understand and I empathize that we may not have a strong alternative, <laughs> like what you shared, Dina, at the very beginning. That like you know you just don't know who to vote for anymore. And and I do understand because we is the onus is really on political leaders of today to present a better offering to the people and to convince our voters. But even within the opposition, we are still trying to figure out how to be united for that matter. And that's not exactly encouraging to voters. But having said that, for us ordinary Malaysians, if we do not go out to vote, if we do not remain engaged in what goes on politically in our country, then there really will not be hope for change. Because there is no option to say that, like, okay, I'm not interested in politics. You can't not be interested because then look at what we have today. You know, with you can't control or, or subsidize you know, the cost of food, basic everyday food, cooking oil, chicken, eggs. We're not talking about what you need here. You know, yeah. this ordinary yeah, talking stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's no option to kind of separate yourself from politics. So like it or not, we do need to continuously be engaged and you please do vote when the time comes. And of course, I... Uh, being a leader of the opposition, I would, of course, advocate for you to please vote for the opposition. Or if your alliance does happen to be with a political party that is not in the opposition, then please hold your leaders accountable. You know, it does not necessarily need to be the president of the party, but at the very least, the elected representative in your area, in your constituency, what has he or she done to make your community better or to make your lives better? You know, at the end of the day, even if it's not a politician from the opposition and so forth, but if it's someone who genuinely serves you well, that is what we need in this country. Okay, well, thank you so much, Dr. Tanusha. I mean, wow, we're 45 minutes in. It just flew by, you know. I mean, I must be like, oh, God, and I wish I could speak to you. Well, you never know. If we have any of these conferences, right, and we can get you over, it'll be really, really good to have you come and meet all of us. It's going to be extremely dynamic, so it'll be fun. I understand you also are very, very tight for time, so we're going to let you go now. I want to say thank you, thank you so much for being on She Talks Peace. As you know, this podcast you know, is being listened to by many, many women and men, right? And a huge uh, number of them are young people all around the world. So yes, inshallah, we will go and vote when she comes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Dina. It has been an absolute pleasure and I would love to come back for any other future engagements that we have. All right. And you take care, okay? Everyone, this is Dina Zaman on behalf of Amina Rasul and She Talks Peace. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Bye, everyone. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. 
Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.